The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you, Shinquan. Can you hear me okay? Okay. So as she said that I will um, give some teachings. I'm first going to start with a guided meditation, a little bit of teachings, and then we'll break up into a group, and then Kim will um, do some as well. Can, I doesn't feel like I'm, I can't, uh, there we go. Does that sound better? Or do I not have it? Okay, okay. So to start, I'd like to um, offer us a guided meditation to help us all arrive here in the same uh, place, finish arriving and have our minds and our bodies in the same place. And with this guided meditation, Towards the end, I'm going to speak a little, and I'm going to invite you to explore, investigate how listening happens, how you listen, the experience of listening. So first we'll just be a general meditation, and then I'll um, say some specific words. So if you can take an upright, alert posture... And if it feels comfortable for you, gently close your eyes. And then take a few full, deep breaths just to settle in. And just notice, how does it feel to be here in this moment, breathing? How does your body experience breathing? And then you can do a gentle scan of your body And is there a place where you can readily, easily let go of some tension? Perhaps soften your shoulders, perhaps your jaw or your face. Is there a way that you can introduce a little bit more ease And if there is some tension that you can't readily let go, can you have ease with that? Can you have ease with the tension that remains?
And when your mind wanders, you can just gently bring it back to your breath or perhaps something else that's compelling, a body sensation, a sound,
Now I'm going to offer some words in addition to the ones I'm saying right now. And I invite you to notice how do you listen? What is the process of listening like for you? What gets activated with listening? Notice what you do in order to listen. Or perhaps what you don't do in order to listen. So this brief poem is a discourse by one of the Buddha's disciples on what is well-spoken. This disciple said, Let's speak only speech that harms neither self nor others. Such words are well-spoken words. Let's speak only endearing speech, speech that is welcome. Speech that doesn't bring us down is endearing. Truth, indeed, is deathless speech. This is an ancient principle. The goal and the dharma so say the peaceful, are established firmly on truth. The speech the awakened one speaks, that which is for attaining safety, release, and the end to suffering, that is unsurpassed speech. So we'll spend just a few more minutes here. You can reflect on what was it like to listen, to hear.
So to end this meditation session, bring your mind to your breathing. You can feel your feet on the floor, your seat on the cushion or the chair. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So words can be very powerful and how we share our words is a beautiful way to be in the world. It could also be harmful too. So as way as as well as learning how we listen can be really helpful in terms of our practice in a number of different ways. If I use that expression, right listening, um, it's implicit in right speech. It's not explicit. There's not uh, something specifically said about how to listen. But I think it's useful to be aware of what, what is our experience of listening. Because most likely, the majority of the time when we're speaking, we're in a conversation and we're also listening. So it's a way to kind of incorporate that whole experience of sharing ideas, expressing oneself as part of listening and speaking. And also learning about listening, how we listen, how we behave or what gets activated is also a way for us to care for others. This noble eightfold path, we don't do this just for ourselves, nor do we do it just by ourselves. But listening, creating the space, the opportunity, the container for others to speak, to share. It's a beautiful practice that helps them, perhaps, as well as perhaps helps us. If you discover that one way that you listen is that you have the idea that you know everything already, and that you're just listening to hear if what this person says is right or wrong, then you're not necessarily creating the container for something new to happen. You don't necessarily have the openness for something new, for you to learn something new. And part of this Noble Eightfold Path is the, for the release, the cessation, the minimization of suffering or stress and that hopefully is something new right we want something new is to be less stress so that means we need to be open for new ideas a new way of approaching things and one way is to be listening with a softness with an openness to others so that we can hear but right speech the tradition holds has four aspects I'm going to focus on the first one, and Kim will focus on the remaining three. So the traditional um, definition of right speech 
in ancient India it was uh, usually written about negative, the negative things, things to refrain from. So it was to refrain from first falsehoods, refrain from lying. Second, to refrain from slander or something that's divisive. Third, to refrain from harsh speech. And the fourth, to refrain from idle or frivolous speech. So when Kim speaks about those last three, she may have different translation choices or a different way, but the first is about um, telling the truth, and the third is the quality of our speech, the last, the remaining three. In addition to those four aspects, the um, Buddha gave us some guidelines for speech. Not only should it follow those four, but it also should be timely. And it should also be beneficial. You can imagine that if somebody is mourning the loss of something very important, or someone important, maybe a family member has died, maybe an aspect of their health they have lost, maybe they've lost a job. If they are mourning something like this, that is not the time to say, oh, everything's impermanent. You know, it's, you know, things arise, they pass away, right? That may be true, that may be your understanding, but at that moment, that isn't the necessarily, could be, but maybe not necessarily beneficial when somebody is mourning. So it's, there's a number of guidelines we can have as to how to use our speech. As I said earlier, recognizing that um, words can heal. They can um, really bring people together and can maybe um, enable an individual to feel like they've seen and been heard. They can have a lot of healing properties. But they also can be harmful. I'm sure all of us have this experience of um, either our saying or I something being directed to us, something that ends up being harmful or hurtful or painful and stays with us for a long time. So it's worthwhile to pay attention to these different aspects of right speech and the guidelines that were given on when to use right speech and how to be timely and beneficial. One way, a few ways that we can discern is it beneficial is to ask ourselves before we speak, will this be harming others? Will this be harming myself? Well, if I say this, will I bring harmony and kindness into the world? Will it support this person's individ- uh, spiritual path? Will it support my spiritual path? So these are some of the guidelines we can help us to discern if something is beneficial. And then specifically, the first element of right speech is about not speaking falsehoods, not lying, speaking the truth. There's a number of ways that speaking the truth um, is um, beneficial for our practice. 
We don't necessarily want to do this just because somebody told us to or because it's our mothers told us or it's written down somewhere, but it's really helpful for our practice to be truthful, to be honest. One way is that in order to determine whether we're being truthful, whether we're being honest, we just simply need to pay attention to what we're saying. This is a type of mindfulness practice. This is a type of bringing our awareness to the present moment. At this moment, am I about to say something that is true? Am I about to be honest? And while you're speaking, in this moment, am I speaking something that is true? Is this honest? Or as honest as it can be, sometimes we're speaking something, we believe it's true, and later we find out that it isn't. I'm talking about at that moment, are we willfully choosing to not be honest? And in order to know that, we need to be in the present moment. And that's a big part of this practice. But a second part of how just being honest and being truthful is part of the practice is I would even venture to say that a big part of this Noble Eightfold Path and the Buddhist practice in general is seeing clearly with what is at this present moment. Kind of the first path factor is right view. That was part of that seeing clearly how actions have consequences. Seeing clearly how underlying dissatisfaction or stress is a type of clinging. And part of the second factor, right intention, was also to see clearly what are our intentions maybe help us see clearly how um, we can set some resolve for loving kindness and compassion and letting go. So I would say that a big part of this practice is seeing clearly and being dishonest or not being truthful either with ourselves or with others is not seen clearly. That's a way of obscuring the truth, obscuring what's really happening, what's, what we um, covering over or somehow not um, being with what's happening. The third way that being honest or being truthful can support our practice is we can learn a lot about ourselves by those ways in which we're not completely honest, in the way we're not completely truthful. Because we can say, oh, if I'm not really saying the whole truth here, we can examine, why is that? Is there something that I'm clinging to? Is there something that I'm holding on to that prevents me from wanting to be clear here? Is there a reason? Am I exaggerating? Is that an expression of maybe some greediness of, I don't know, um, maybe some more attention or something? Or if we are minimizing something, is that because we have aversion to something? So this third way that honesty and truthfulness can support our practice is that it can give us some insight. We can learn something about ourselves in the ways that we're not completely honest or the way that we're not completely clear. Maybe it can help us see where we don't quite understand and we're just saying something because we feel like somebody's expecting something from us even though we don't really know or have it clear in our minds. 
we can learn a lot if we examine the way that we speak and the way that we're not being truthful. Fourth way is that it can help us build relationships. As I said, we are doing this practice not only for ourselves, for others, and we don't practice in isolation. And I think it's a natural thing. I know I have this experience that when I'm with people that are speak truthfully, I, t- I myself tend to be more truthful and a little bit more relaxed. And a certain kind of intimacy and uh, authenticity is present there when you know that somebody is truthful and they're sharing with you the best that they can. And then the last way that I'll mention here, perhaps there are more, but I'll say here, that way that being truthful can support our practice is that it can affect our rele- our our behavior in the world. I have this experience. It was very surprising for me. Um, here at IMC, the Dharma Practice Day, quite a number of years ago, when um, Gil, the first time he did uh, the Noble Eightfold Path, and we got to write speech, and I thought, oh, I'm going to do right speech. I'm no longer going to say all those little white lies. And one that I used to often say was, oh, sorry, I'm late. The traffic was really bad. But the traffic wasn't bad. I just wasn't organized or didn't, I don't know. I didn't know exactly why I would show up late, but I often would show up late and then blame it on the traffic. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try to not do these little white lie. So I find that I, of course, had to leave earlier, right, to arrive on time. And then somehow I felt better, like, oh, this is kind of respectful for other people to arrive on time. And I felt just a small amount, or this is a mundane thing, but it turned a small amount, it made me feel better. Like, oh, I'm being honest, I'm not telling this white lie, I'm being respectful of these people that I'm leaving, um, that I'm meeting, and I'm leaving on time. So having the intention to speak the truth, having the intention to not be dishonest, can change our behaviors in really small ways that then can change, can lead to new things, can lead to even greater things. So with that, I offer you kind of the first aspect of right speech is um, telling the truth of being honest. And then... um, I'm going to turn it over to Shin Kwan, and she's going to talk about a breakout session. So um, now we're going to do an exercise. And um, what we're uh, going to practice is um, maybe a deeper listening. Um, maybe we can speak a little more slowly. We're going to be paying attention to uh, what's happening as we're speaking. So each person will have five minutes to speak. And the other part of what we're going to do is how we are when we're listening. So one person will speak for five minutes, um, and the other person will listen. So, and then we'll switch. So I'll give you a question. But some of the things you might pay attention to is um, maybe some of the intentions around speaking will uh, kind of surface. As you're saying something, you might notice the energy in your body moving forward or back or um, something happening with your posture. You might notice also different energies going on in your body. Um, You might notice the type of speaking that you're doing. 
Um, so this is a great opportunity to slow down. You can pause. The other person's not going to interrupt you. <laughs> you can take all the time you want to figure out, um, work with the things that Diana just talked about. You know, um, why might you want to say certain things? Um, and what's the energy around saying those things? And as for the person who's listening, is to notice the things that might keep you from listening or in the things that might help you listen a little more deeply. Are you having commentary? Are you having rebuttal? Are you having protests? Are you, uh, you know, um, wanting to say something and having to hold your tongue? So there's probably a lot going on when you're just having to listen for five minutes and not speak. And so you're going to get an opportunity to pay attention to what goes on in the body for you. Um, and then I'll ring the bell at five minutes and then you'll switch. So this is a two-person exercise, so go ahead and pair up with somebody. Does everybody have a partner? Great. <laughs> okay. So you'll have um, five minutes. The question is, in the course of your lifetime, what are the important lessons you've learned about how to speak and how to listen? And I'll repeat that. In the course of your lifetime, what are the important lessons you've learned about how to speak and how to listen? And you can take your time, and I'll ring the bell after five minutes, and then the other person, you guys will switch roles. Okay? <laughs> so um, now, um, switching. And the person who was speaking, now you settle back, and you take a... Um, I guess a deeper look at how you listen. And the person who's speaking now, come back into the body and then notice the things, the body changes, the energy, the um, maybe some motivation or intentions might surface. And again, the question is, in the course of your lifetime, what are the important lessons you've learned about how to speak and how to listen? And you have five minutes. I'll ring the bell at the end. Great, so thank you. And now um, you can take a few minutes and, and speak more naturally and <laughs> and actually maybe share with your um, you know partner what that was like. Uh, like I just asked him, were you able to stay present while you were speaking? And she was like, you know, it's a lot harder than I thought. So what were the some of the blocks to being present for while you were speaking? What were some of the things that helped you be present? What were some of the things with blocks that um, maybe kept you from listening more deeply? And what are some of the things that helped you to be more present for listening? So just spend a few minutes doing that. And then I'll ask um, for maybe coming back to the larger group and sharing some of the things that you share with each other.
so great. It looked like that was an interesting exercise. Um, so just bringing it into the larger group, is, does anybody have anything to share about what that experience was like? Briefly. So um, one thing that was fun to notice is that it was very easy to listen to my partner because I don't know her and I was very curious about everything she said. And then um, thinking about how much harder it is to listen to the people in my family. <laughs> you know, the familiarity and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Who's next? Anyone else? We actually got in a really interesting conversation around gesture, right? A little bit closer. A little bit closer? That's good. So we got in a conversation around gesture because, um, you know, nodding sometimes or there's other ways like, well, the kind of touch will move and do the rest of it. And realizing that our purpose in speech can sometimes be practical, right? Where's the bathroom or, you know, pass the salt. But oftentimes it's about connection. It's about creating that moment. We want to be really witnessed. We want to be seen. So when I, if I, yes, you're telling the story and, and yes, I'm engaging with you and, or I may touch myself in a way like, oh, that's so shocking, that we really feel that emotional connection of really showing that piece of it because that's what we really wanted in that moment. I mean, we don't tell some, some story, you know, the, you know, my brother did today that really upset me. We don't, Tell it, we tell it as connection, not as, you know, that's its purpose. So that was kind of interesting to watch and then, you know, being aware of gesture and the whole thing. And, and then, of course, recognizing male-female difference because often you can see two men talking to each other facing the same direction, not at each other, right? So there isn't a lot of gesture where we can sit here and talk and have this long conversation without that component. It's interesting. Great. Thank you. Um, well, I was just going to add more to um, what you said about the fact that we know here that the speech was going to be uh, not judged. And similarly, in the mentor program here, um, there were some things in the second factor that I was having trouble with. And if I'd had a meeting scheduled to talk with my wife or one of my friends about that, and it, it, it came time for my mentor appointment, and I felt so out of, I was having so much difficulty with it that I would have canceled the meeting. Um, I don't think I would have been able to say what I was feeling then if it was with someone in my life. But the fact that the mentor is not in my life and that I absolutely knew that there would be no judgment made me be confident enough to, to speak from my heart about it. So, so I, I think speech has to be considered in the context of what it's usually like versus when we know we're speaking with someone who's not going to judge us. Um, I was very interested. I was very interested in um, listening. Uh, I once heard it defined as listening. That's the part where you wait until you have a chance to say what you want to say. You know. <laughs> But I have had, I've had very good, I don't think I'm that great at listening, but I've had some great role models. And one person I had was when I was at a university, and I had to talk to the professor just one-to-one -one because I, I wanted to do a project that was a little different than the assignment, you know, to find out if it was okay. 
So we went in, there was a very plain room, just like a couple of these chairs, small room. And she asked, what do you want to do? So I started describing what I wanted to do. And I felt this woman listens in a way that nobody I've ever experienced. It was like my words stood up in the room like people. This woman listens to you. You don't need anybody to listen to you for the next five years, you know? You're prepaid, you know? It's, uh, so I, I've been very touched and impressed by, by really great listeners in my life. I think I, I'm, I'm drawn to seeing that, and I pay attention to it. I don't think I'm so great at it myself, but I, I've really experienced some great things. I'm reminded today about how valuable and interesting it is to pay attention to the body and the energy during conversations and how easy it is to just um, disregard. the. And um, I, I find that this would be a, a really interesting exercise if it went on and on and on with the same thing because we were trying to get a little bit extra in between when, when the bell rang. But um, Tom acknowledged at the end there how we were set up differently. He was much higher than I was. It's something we both noticed, but we didn't mention it at all. And, you know, in very subtle noticing that, but disregarding, it, it might have been nicer for me to get a pillow or somehow leveling it out. It's that whole one up, one down. It, it does put an energy sort of thing, and we can just notice it, but we can also change it. And I think in professions or working with other people or teacher, whatever, we tend to do that. We kind of respectfully do that. But in casual things, we go, oh, it's okay. I'm fine. It doesn't So I think I'll pay attention to that more. So thank you. So you can, that's, thank you for, so much for that. And I feel like you can continue to do this. It's only kind of when we remember it, and put a little bit of effort towards it. Uh, checking back in with the body to see what's going on. So you have a 10-minute break. It's a great opportunity <laughs> to practice. If you are going to continue to speak with each other, feel free to do that. See if you can apply some of these same things that we said. Um, um, and I'll ring the bell at the end of 10 minutes. We'll come back. <laughs> 